0: All right, week number two, in case you missed it last week. In episode one, is how I'll say, episode one of Dear Us, we walk through the first 14 verses of Ephesians. So Ephesians 1 through 14, and we started with a question, a little bit of a review session. We started with a question, when was the last time you received a handwritten letter? And it looks kind of like this, in case you're unfamiliar. Um, That's that's an emoji that may be more familiar with that one. Just in case you're familiar with the process, you take this envelope and you put it into a mailbox right there. And this, I didn't find out until I was probably about 12 years old, this piece of technology. Putting the flag up tells the, the postal service, it tells them there's something in here to take away. Which I'm like, if they opened it up, wouldn't they just know there's something in there? In any event, that comes up and I have... Okay, this is a police officer, but they didn't have a mailman or, you know, a postal worker on iPhone. So forgive me, just pretend that it's, there's no badges on there. And then when the person receives it, they might get this kind of reaction right here. Oh, it's a handwritten letter. Or it could be this kind of reaction. Why? Is this a ransom note? Like, what is this? And fear, okay? The last time you, you received a handwritten letter, all right? This letter was written by Paul to a group of people in Ephesus. And um, we see that this letter also kind of collides into this room into our stories today. So in in a very real sense, this letter is written to us, the saints of Lincoln, to the God's people of Emmaus church community here today. Verses 3 to verse 14, Paul writes a monster sentence of 201 Greek words, one sentence. His English teacher would have had a big problem with that. Okay, a run-on, if you will. Okay? A huge, huge sentence from verse 3 to verse 14. It's 201 Greek words, and it says eight actions. We went over eight um, things that God is doing that is active in our lives that he's done for us. We can run through those real quick in case you weren't here with us. The first one is blessed. First one's blessed. God has blessed us. The second one is chosen. He has chosen you intentionally. The third one is predestined. There was a premeditation to this. There was thought behind it. He planned this. He intentionally chose you, not just like you get in the store, it's like closing time, and you're like, well, I'll just take that one. It wasn't like that, but it was rather before the foundation of the world, Paul writes. He has chose us with deliberateness. And the next one is bestowed. This is the verb form of grace. Remember we talked about we say Google is like a search engine, but we say just Google it. And it becomes a verb. The same thing with bestowed. We have uh, that grace is the noun, and it bestowed becomes the, the verb form of that. The next one's lavished. Lavished. I just picture an overflowing, overflowing glass and over like a waterfall. He has extravagantly poured out this upon us. Um, the next one is made known. He wants, God wants us to know him. He's not holding back. Two more we have um, is included in Christ and then marked. With a seal, he has included us. We've gone from outsiders to insiders and then marked us. We looked at the passage. This is my beloved son, whom I love. And with him, I'm well pleased. He has intentionally chosen you and said, you are my, my, my son, you are my daughter. I love you and I'm proud of you. That's episode one in a nutshell, right there, okay? So we begin on the second half Of chapter 1 here in the book of Ephesians. To provide a little bit of context for Paul, we didn't go over this too much last week. Paul's writing from a prison in Rome. He's writing while he's in jail. And many scholars think that he is dictating this um, to Tychicus, one of of the, the sidekicks with Paul throughout his life. There's a Roman guard, as it was in this time, that went through um, six-hour shifts chained to him, four guards a day chained there to him, and he's writing to a group of people that live in Ephesus, which think of New York City meets L.A. meets San Francisco in terms of culture and and progressiveness. Um, uh, Ephesus was kind of the epicenter for one of the pagan temples of of a very common Greek god at the time, Diana. Diana. So this group of Christians lived in a place where it wasn't very safe to say that Jesus is Lord. It was very difficult to put their faith in Jesus, where it wasn't just, I've gone to a place, I believe it here. But when, back then when people said I put my faith in Jesus or I trust in Jesus, this, this meant that Jesus was the center of everything that they did. Everything went through Jesus in their lives. So this was difficult and this kind of life gets told to Paul in a prison in Rome, and so he continues to write to them in verse 15. If you'll turn there with me, if you have a Bible. We find we've gone from um, all these things that, that Paul writes that God has done for us in 1 through 14. And then in verse 15, we're caught up into this moment where all of a sudden we find that Paul is praying for us. Paul is praying for the Ephesians. And we kind of don't even realize it. Like, there was one time, a long time ago, where I was with the pastor having a conversation, and this pastor has been on the radio and on TV quite a bit, and he has a large church. And I found myself at kind of an event speaking with him, and I said, I just... You know, can you help me? I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to choose this choice over here or choose this choice over here. And he's talking to me about it. And it was kind of a great moment where I'm going, I don't really know. And here's the good things about this decision. And here's the good things about this decision. And he's there listening and we're going on. And then all of a sudden he just says, and we pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. That's how he spoke. And that's what he said. And I said, I didn't know we were praying. I thought we were just talking. I thought we were just having a conversation, and all of a sudden, and I didn't know if he was just like, I'm done talking with you. <laughs> I'm going to say amen, and I'm going to leave. But all of a sudden, like he took all of that as just like, hey, this, these are, this is words and thoughts and feelings that we place at your feet, God. And so he kind of wraps it all up and says, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. I said, oh, if I'd have known we were praying, I would have sounded a little bit more godly during our time, right? The same thing here with Paul in verse 15. We'll find in the middle of it, all of a sudden, he's praying. So read along with me. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 15 and go to the end of the chapter. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, this is a heart of gratitude, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, very fitting that would come up on Father's Day, the Father of glory, it may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul's most used title for us as Christians actually wasn't the word Christian. We find the word Christian only three times in the New Testament, and it's never by the pen of Paul. His go-to term for those of us that follow Jesus was saints. We talked about this last week, that it kind of feels a little bit awkward um, for someone calling us a saint, considering maybe what we have or haven't done in the past. Okay? And he says this actually three times. Paul has already called us, referred to us as saints three times already, through verse, um, through the end of uh, verse 18. Rather, he calls us saints, and it's an it's an ID on what God has done, not on what we have done. Because if we got called a title based on what we have done, it would look much differently, right? Yeah, And I'll just, just confession time, because vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Here we go. A story when I was about 19 years old that I'm not proud about, but I'm about to tell it in a room full of strangers, mostly strangers. Are you ready? Here we go. I'm 19 years old, a car, a, a car full of guys, we would get in the car. And um, I won't tell you his name. Um, he's like, he wouldn't be in the room right now, but we're just going to protect all innocence because we were far from it during this time, okay? So this is kind of mild, but I'm not, a, not, not proud of it. Here we go. So there's five of us in the car, and one of the things that would happen um, on a regular basis, but it was my first time doing it with them, is we would um, call it just garbage can tipping, is what we would call it. It's a foreshadowing statement on what's about to happen, okay? So we would go in this this young man's car, and it was kind of all beat up on the side, and we would be in the back, and I just realized my 10-year-old daughter is in the room. Oh, man. And I can't stop now. I got to go now. Okay, so um, one guy who's in the back right, in the right side, like passenger back seat, window was rolled down, um, we would drive up closely to um, a house on garbage day that was very key, and the garbage cans would be outside, and the kind where there would be um, handles and wheels down below, and that person would grab the garbage can out in front of their house. This might drastically change your opinion of me, this whole story, and I'm aware of that, okay? But this is more so to show, like, us, Paul calling us saints isn't based on what we have done. It's not based on all the good things we've done. It's not based on the amount of times that we've gathered all the good things we think that maybe now I've earned God's love. This term that Paul identifies us is based on what God has done for us in Christ. Nothing that we have done, okay? So this person right here would take the garbage can, window down, person driving would get up to about 30 miles an hour, and he would, this guy right here, behind right here, hitting against the side of the car, and he would go, go, and he'd let it go, and that can would smash into another garbage can down the street, and it would roll over and over and over again. And now as I'm 38 years old, not as funny as I was when I was 19. If there was any term to identify me at any point in my life, and that might be some of the mild stuff, that might be like, oh, it sounds like a good time. Or for some, it's like, that, how is he? Did that, why He's in church? How is he not burning up right now? Just zap, okay? It's not based on the stuff that we have done. It's based on the work that God has done for us, a gift he has given to us. You might have regrets, you might have embarrassing stories, you might have mistakes, you might have things even right now in your life that's just like, oh man, it's based on the work that God has done in you through Christ. Saints, is what he calls us. So when I, call, when I refer to you as a term that Paul uses to call you the saints of Emmaus, and it's like, oh, you don't know, I'm with you. I'm with you. It feels like an uncomfortable jacket we're putting on that doesn't quite fit. But until we understand this is based on what God has done already through Christ, we'll begin to feel a little bit more comfortable. We can understand our identity. Our lives can look a lot less like trying to replace it. Remember last week, we oftentimes identify ourselves with what we can do or who we know or what we have. But rather, the real truth is we are God's beloved based on what He has done for us. Paul's prayer, as we see, it was not for transformation of circumstances, but a transformation of character. We can rewind one. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, saints also is never singular in the New Testament. It's never singular. It's always plural. It's always plural. So it's never just one. This, this journey wasn't meant to be done in isolation. It's always more than one. More than one, and this Paul's prayer for the saints is for transformation of character, not for transformation of circumstances. Remember, Paul's writing in prison; Caesar is still in power in in throughout the Roman Empire. Paul's prayer wasn't, "God help them that they would stay safe," God protect them from the evils, but rather it was five proactive things that he prayed for them. We're going to take a look at those. Um, for the rest of our time. The first one that Paul prays is for the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. So that that the followers of Christ so that the saints would have a new spiritual perspective, a new understanding of who God is. God, help them to understand more. Reveal to them who you are even more. The five things that Paul prays for, number one, he's praying for other people. Remember, he's living in prison for preaching the name of Jesus. Jesus. Oftentimes we think that we look at our circumstances and this must mean that maybe things aren't going well or that maybe God isn't actually in charge. Paul didn't interpret his circumstances to mean who God is or what God is up to. He didn't take what was happening around him and say like, well, God must, must, must have forgot about me. The thing that Paul prays for for all of us is for us to understand, for us to have a Have witness the revelation of who God is and what he has done in our lives. Not to change the stuff around us. Oftentimes when our understanding and our perception begins to change things around us begin to change. It's not if that other person would just change their behavior. Oftentimes the answer is right here. Maybe if we would change then things would change. Paul asked would you help them to understand, have the wisdom of who you are God. The second thing is in verse 18. He, he asks for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. One translation puts it, I think it's the NLT, says, may your eyes be flooded with light so you may see. That's a prayer that, I, that God would like to answer. God, would you flood my eyes with your light as I open up your scriptures so I may see who you really are. The eyes of your hearts to be enlightened. The third thing, Paul's just talking about hope, to know the hope to which he has called you, to which God has called you, and not like, a, like our kind of hope. Like remember when you got to that age on your birthday, when you saw like the rectangle boxes and you knew, it was like, oh, it's a sweater. Remember that? Remember like when you knew it wasn't a toy anymore? Or maybe you had, even as an adult, and you're like, I really hope it's this. And then you get, and it's just like an envelope. You're like, it's a gift card. Cool. Remember that? Come on. You, you, know, you've, you know you've been there. And oftentimes we have this like, oh, I hope it's something good. I, I hope we get there on time. Or I hope it's this. I, I hope, you know, we, we can get the house. Like, that's, that's, that's not the hope that Paul's talking about here. The hope that he's talking about is kind of this divine assurance. This certainty in the things that we haven't seen knowing that who's going to win in the end, that they would know that God is still on the throne, that he will reign forever and ever, no matter what our circumstances might look like. To have this kind of hope to which he has called you to, to which he has called us to be a part of, to understand, to feel, to know. Oftentimes in Scripture, when it says to know, K-N-O-W, it means for us to experience. Experience is the best teacher. Sometimes it hurts too, right? Sometimes we have to fall on our face to realize um, this wasn't the right way to go. For us to experience the hope to which he's called us. The fourth thing is to know the glorious riches of his inheritance. To know the glorious riches of his inheritance. Scholars would say what Paul is referring to right here is us which is a wild, wild idea that what God gets in return for sending himself, wrapping on flesh, taking on death, even on a cross, what he gets for that is us. Which, to rewind just a little bit, remember the story I just told you before, we've acted like this in the past, and you think, this is his reward? Someone got the raw end of the deal. That might feel like, right? In a different kind of economy, in a kingdom economy, there's a, there's a God who, who seeks to give all of himself to love, even risk whether we're going to accept to follow him or not. Knowing that there would be some that said, like, I want nothing to do with them or that place or that person or that book or anything. Knowing that this would happen. What Christ gets in return for his obedience is us, the saints. And one day we will be in his presence once again. When the kingdom comes in its fullest, it will happen. Last thing is in verse 19. Again, another to know Verb To know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. To know this power that can't be measured, this priceless kind of power, that there's no value that can be placed on it, that you would know this kind of power. And Paul continues to write, the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. This kind of power lives within us. And oftentimes, we, we conduct our ways through life as zombies, as those that are dead but that are still kind of walking around, rather than taking hold of this power and living a resurrected life, a born-again, a new day kind of life. This is the life that Paul is inviting us into, that you would know this kind of power. This thy kingdom come, your kingdom is coming, your kingdom is on the way, this kind of power, that you would know this, that you would experience this that others would be able to sniff this out in who you are in your day-to-day actions. And all of our holy pursuits and all the good things that we're trying to do for God, this morning may we be reminded that the Holy One is already here and He's already been pursuing us. This journey with Jesus wasn't meant to make you feel wretched and incomplete and inadequate. And oftentimes we feel like we're striving and climbing and and chasing after this unattainable thing. May you know and be comforted this morning that the Holy One has been pursuing you way before you even knew it. That He's already here, that He's already present. He's perhaps right under our feet. Remember, through the burning bush, God tells Moses, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. It's already here. He's already up to something. There's a poem I would like to read you by Robert Sigel. And it illustrates this very well. It's called Looking for Mount Modadnock. Anybody in the room heard of Mount Modadnock? I might be saying it wrong, wrong but um, we're going we're gonna to go through it anyway. We actually don't have the words up on the screen, so I'll give it my best shot. Looking for Mount Modanoch by Robert, Robert Siegel. Not the Robert Siegel, the one that's on the radio, not that Robert Siegel. I think it's a different one, a different poet. It's talking about him and his wife on a, on a trip, and they live near Mount Modanoch. And he writes, We see the sign, Mottadnock State Park, as it flashes by after a mile or two, decided to go back. We can't pass by Mottadnock without seeing it, I say, turning around. We head down the sign road, Mottadnock Realty, Mottadnock Pottery, Mottadnock Designs, but no Mount Mottadnock. Then the signs fall away. Nothing but trees and the darkening afternoon. We don't speak past a clearing, and you say, I think I saw it, or part of it. A bald rock? Miles and miles more. Finally, I pull over, and we consult the map. Knox right there, or just a bit back there. But we should see it, we're practically on top of it, and driving back, we look. Trees. A flash of clearing, purple rock, but we are, it seems, too close to see it. It is here, we are on it, it is under us. Maybe I'm not the only one in the room, but oftentimes this journey, there's a lot of familiar things a lot of things that we do kind of over and over, and oftentimes, things that become familiar, we can miss what God might be up to. Maybe you have a place like where you live by and you drive by almost every day, and then even after a few years, you realize, oh, I never even saw that house. Or, oh, I didn't know there's been a stop sign there for two years. I've just been running it every single time because I lived here for so long. These things, they've just become so familiar that maybe like, I had no idea. There's things that God is up to, that, but maybe in our trying to chase after and strive and pursue that we've been missing it. That resurrection life, it is here. It is right under us. It is under our feet. So the question as we go into this week, what have you been overlooking in your walk with Christ. What have you maybe missed this past season of your life? And you might have good reason. Maybe there's some some pain you're walking through. Maybe things have been really busy as the school year has been ending or the summer begins. What is something that God is doing around you that maybe you've been missing? In a culture that is always looking towards the next thing and looking towards the horizon and looking towards completing goals, which can be a good thing, oftentimes we miss what is here and what is now. This resurrection life that, that God offers us through Christ, it is here. We are on it. It is under our feet. And Jesus, He can be very He can be overlooked. As the tomb is empty and he's walking through the garden and Mary approaches him, does anyone remember who she thinks he is? The gardener. She thinks he's the gardener. I love thinking about it this way once again. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe is walking in the garden with humankind just how it is at the very beginning. But he got overlooked. He came as a baby. No cradle. No happy birthday celebration. Buried in somebody else's tomb. Jesus is no stranger to being overlooked. This morning he invites us to pay attention, to see what he's doing around us. And there's no shame in that question. There's no, like, you, you should, you should be, feel sad for overlooking these No, 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 no. He invites you to, to open up the eyes of your heart so you may understand, so you may experience his love and his power in your life. Would you pray with me? Abba Father, we take a minute or a moment this morning to pause. To feel the breath coming in. To feel the breath going out. To slow down and to experience something new about you that maybe we've been overlooking for a long time. Help us to do so this week. Help us as your people, as your saints, as your glorious inheritance, to experience you in a new and fresh way. For those in the room, who maybe are spiritually tired, and they feel like maybe they'd be getting caught up in trying to do all these things so they can earn your love, your favor, or even the title that you have given us. Put your arm around your son son or daughter and whisper to them, you love them because of what you have done not because of what they have done. Help us to lean in and experience you in a fresh way this week. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, the one who's still on the throne. Amen.